Well, good evening, everybody. That's a, a rather half-hearted good evening. I think I could make you give me an even better good evening. At, um, it's a warm night. So we decided a couple of weeks ago in the providence of God that we wanted to do something to help us create community. That it's one thing coming to church and going away and coming to church and going away and coming to church and going away. We thought, well, what can we do to bless the folk that come to our church family, that turn up on Sunday nights, those that might be here on a particular Sunday night? What could we do? And we thought of two things. So I've got two bits of really good news for you. Well, one or two of you are excited about that. The rest of you are reserving judgment until you hear what the good news is. Am I right? Yes. Ulster people do that. We'll tell you whether we approve once we hear what you've got to say. On the 2nd of September, after our morning service, we're going to decant hook, line, and proverbial sinker to Crawford's Burn and have a barbecue and a picnic and a great time together. We're going to bring some games. We're going to bring some barbecues. You bring some meat. We'll bring some um, good-looking servants and assistants. And we're going to have a lovely time just together first Sunday of September after the morning meeting. We're just going to get together. But why wait until then? So at 7.45 tonight, we have arranged for an ice cream van to be in the car park and you can all have free ice creams after the service. Not any old ice cream. Really, really good ice cream. So uh, when the meeting ends, you'll be very welcome to go out, get yourself a poke. And if you want a 99, have a 99. It's on us. We just want us to, so don't rush away. Enjoy an ice cream in this humid heat. Um, get to know somebody. Walk up to somebody and say, do you want a lick of my poke? No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Please, definitely don't do that because that might just be a little bit embarrassing. But go get yourself an ice cream on us and enjoy getting to know each other and spend a little bit of time together. That's a good idea, don't you think? Yes. Well, otherwise I'm going to have to eat 170 ice creams <laughs> if you don't want one. So um, please have one on us. I think that's great. Why? <laughs> I'm now looking at the first line of my sermon and didn't realize that these two things were going to be in juxtaposition in quite the way that they are. Why did I eat that cake? <laughs> That's honestly what I have written down here. Oh, I wish I had accepted that job. I wish I'd never gone out with that girl. Why did I ever say that? If you've thought things like that, then it's in your brain's way, or perhaps it's in your conscience's way of telling you to rethink the choices that you have made and to learn from them. The description of that emotion, that feeling, is regret. It's a good thing. We can all learn from bad decisions we've made and bad situations that we've gotten ourselves into, right? I'm always wary of people who, if asked, would you do anything differently? Say, no, not a thing. But when your mind or your emotions or your life gets stuck around feelings like that, then you've been caught in a spiral of regret that can threaten to take the joy out of your life. It can paralyze you with fear 
And it can leave you feeling like your life is always going to be stuck. In an article published on the 21st of January 2013 on the HuffPost website, Brownie War, who is a singer, talks about her experience when she worked as a care assistant for the dying in palliative care. She wrote this, People grow a lot when they are faced with their own mortality. I learned never to underestimate someone's capacity for growth. Some changes were phenomenal. Each experienced a variety of emotions, as expected, fear, denial, anger, remorse, more denial, and then eventually acceptance. Every single patient found their peace before they died, though. And she writes about the five biggest regrets that people have that they told her about before they died. What would yours be? What's your biggest regret? Number one, I wish I had the courage to be true to myself and not live the life that other people expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't spent so much time at work and so little time at home. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express how I felt more honestly. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with friends more. Number five, I wish I'd allowed myself to find the things that brought contentment. What is regret? It's feeling sad or remorseful or disappointed over something that you've done or that you failed to do. Some studies show that regret is the second most common emotion experienced by human beings in daily life, and that we start to experience it as early as two years of age. And it can destroy you. It can eat up your life, it can imprison your emotions, it can make you turn away from relationships. It can make you feel as if you're entitled and that you've lived a life that you didn't deserve. The celebrity chef, writer, and TV personality, Anthony Bourdain, had a tattoo on his arm and it read in ancient Greek, I am certain of nothing. He committed suicide on the 8th of June this year. He was 61. In an interview for a men's journal in 2014, he was asked, what are the benefits of living life as you choose and what are the risks? Here's what he said. I understand that inside me there is a greedy, gluttonous, lazy hippie. I understand that there's a guy inside me who wants to lay in bed and smoke weed all day and watch cartoons and old movies. I could easily do that my whole life is a series of stratagems to avoid and outwit that guy. I'm aware of my appetites and I don't let them take charge. Then he was asked, how should a man handle regret? 
And what's your biggest regret? He said this, regret is something you've just got to live with. You can't drink it away. You can't run away from it. You can't trick yourself out of it. You've just got to own it. I've disappointed and hurt people in my life. And that's just something I'm going to have to live with forever. You eat that guilt and you live with it. And you own it for your whole life. I have a better story than that. I have a better idea for what you can do with your regrets. Whether you're joining online or you're in this room, I think the Christian story about how to handle regret is far more hopeful than that. It gives the chance of a fresh start It allows you to know that regret doesn't have to destroy you. It moves beyond regret. It goes beyond remorse. And it enters into something else that can bring freedom and life and hope. You've just got to find a way to break free from the negative cycle of thinking. And you can begin to grow and learn and change. There's something better possible for every single person who lives with regrets. I'd like you to join with me in reflecting for a few moments on what the Bible might say about this by looking at a whole series of scriptures with me. You'll need a Bible, and you'll need to open it, please, first of all, at Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And this might sound odd to you, but I want to give you a picture of where this regret appears in the Bible in different ways and in different forms. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. God looks at the world that he's created and he sees the wickedness of it, the selfishness of it, the pride of it, the hatred that exists in the earth, the competitiveness. And here's what we see. And the Lord regretted that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 11, if you can find it. Samuel was a king who was chronicled. If you get those books in the Old Testament in the wrong order, that's a helpful way of remembering it. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. The people of Israel have appointed a king called Saul. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and he has not carried out my commands. In the most broad terms, even God regrets some decisions. I don't have enough time to express to you and explain to you what that means in Scripture. It doesn't mean that God is sorry for the things that he's done. It means that he looks at the things that have happened and he is sorry for the way people have responded to them. It breaks his heart to see people who are given an opportunity and turn away from it. And he has to intervene. It grieves him. It causes him to intervene in human history. When we do something with an opportunity that God has given us and we make mistakes. King David, one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament, 
lived with regret. Let me read to you Psalm, chapter six, Psalm 6, verses 6 to 7. David writing, I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of my enemies. He's living a life pregnated with regret. Psalm 51, verses 8 to 9, after he's had an adulterous relationship with a woman called Bathsheba. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I regret this. I wish I'd never done it. I wish I'd never made the mistake. That's how we come to God with our regrets. I've made a mess of this and I need your help. The great Old Testament figure Job loses everything. And here's what he says in Job chapter 3 and verses 3 and 11. Let the day perish in which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Imagine wishing you'd never been born. I know what that feels like. When I was a youngster, I've told you before, you know that old prayer, I lay my body down to sleep, I pray that God my soul shall keep and if I die before I wake, I pray that God my soul shall take. I grew up my life praying this, not in a godly or Christian family. I lay my body down to sleep. I pray that God my soul shall keep. Please let me die before I wake. Job's regret brought him to the edge of ruin. He'd rather die than live. Peter, Jesus' friend, sometimes called blundermouth. In Luke chapter 22, verses 61 to 62, We've heard it several times in our church over the last few weeks. Peter denies Jesus three times. And here's what we read in Luke 22, verses 61 to 62. On the night that Jesus was going to be butchered and beaten and mocked and laughed at, his best friend said, I don't know him. The Bible says in verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He was brokenhearted by the regret that he had let Jesus down. And the man that betrayed Jesus Christ, Judas Iscariot, regretted the decision so much that in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 to 5, we're told that he went out, found a rope, and hanged himself. What are you doing with the regrets of your life? How are you handling them? Where are you putting them? What are you going to do with them? I want to suggest to you that a Christian response to regret is not to be caught by it, not to be held by it, not to be afraid of it, but to go beyond it. And as a pastor of almost 30 years, I want to try and, or just over 30 years, I want to tell you the difference between regret as the world defines it and what God does with regret. And it's one word. It's just one word. It is the word repentance. You see, when you regret something, you're sorry for it, but you don't change. 99% of the people, and this is pessimistic, but it's honest. 99% of the people that I've had to deal with who regret something don't regret the thing. They regret being found out. If they could have got away with it, they'd have got away with it. Regret is what you do when you're found out. 
oh no, somebody knows about that. Somebody knows about how I felt. Somebody knows about what I did. Remorse is what you feel when you feel guilty. But neither of them lead to life. Only repentance leads to life. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. I'm going to show you what it looks like. You're walking in one direction. God meets you by the power of his spirit and challenges you about your regrets. And you stop and you turn and you walk back in a different direction. That's the only way to get rid of regret. It's the only way you're going to get free of that thing that is weighing you down. Turning away and walking toward God. It's the only pathway to freedom. It's the only avenue to true life, to genuinely being free, to not going to bed every night feeling guilty and worthless and useless and stuck, to not resenting the people around you. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John, Jesus' friend, writing to a church in a city called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Paul writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this, godly grief, godly regret produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret with it. But worldly grief produces death. If you are caught in a cycle of regret, there's only one way out of it, and it is through Jesus Christ. Turning to him and saying honestly to him, I have messed up. I wish I could do it all again. I wish I could go back and change that conversation. I wish I could take back those words. You know my heart. Give it to him. And he doesn't take it and say, well, I'm going to beat you around the face and make you feel utterly miserable. When we give him our regrets, our mistakes, our failures, the things that we wish we had done that we haven't done, the things that we wish we um, uh, should have done and didn't do, the things that we did that we wish we could stop, when we give them to him, he says, if you give those to me and leave them with me, there's hope for you. There's life for you. There's a different tomorrow for you. There's a different future. There's a different life. You don't have to be bound by the chains of your mistakes and your failures and your regrets. Not all regrets are sins. I wonder how many of us in this room would give anything to have one last conversation with somebody. To tell them that we loved them. To tell them that we were sorry. To let them know that we were never embarrassed by them or afraid. To reach out a hand and just touch them and let them know something. How many of us live with not regrets that are sins, just things that we wish we'd done? Even those can be done and dealt with in Jesus Christ. The author of life, the one who brings healing and hope, the one who finishes unfinished conversations, the one who takes all of our uncertainties and our fears and our anxieties, give them to him. 
Let all unfinished things be finished in him. Let all things that we wish we could undo be undone in him. Let him take them. Let him hold them. Let him carry them. Listen to what God says to his people Israel in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Remember not the former things. Do not consider the things of old. Of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It says that to a whole community whose lives have gone down the wrong route. A whole community that are facing devastation and mistakes. I wonder if a community, as a community, have we ever made mistakes? We're bound to have. Let God be the author of new hope. Let him be the bringer of new life. Don't rehearse it for the rest of your life. Don't live in that moment again and again and again. Because do you know what happens when you live in a moment of regret? It gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It pulls you down until it is suffocating you and you can't breathe. Instead, let God reframe your regrets. As you turn to him in repentance, as you lay them at his feet, as you let him have the mistakes that you've made, the longings and the unfinished business, let me give you three suggestions that might help you as you reframe regret. Number one, Whatever it is that you regret tonight, what can you learn from it? Stop running away from it. Do you ever, or have you ever, got letters and just not opened them and put them in a drawer? Allowed receipts to grow and grow and grow. Had demands or expectations placed upon you by a friend or maybe you owed somebody money. And rather than face it, you put it somewhere. I'll put it in a drawer. I'll put it in a box. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Are you a person whose office or study or workspace gets higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher until you're lost in a sea of paperwork? And somebody says, are you going to do that? Well, I'll get round to it sometime. It's a sure sign that either you're not coping, you might just be a bad organized, badly organized person, or that you're trying to avoid something. Years ago, I had a conversation with a little old man in a Church of Scotland bookshop in Glasgow. I was about to leave the context that I was in because I was so fed up with it. And he said to me, I said, I'm fed up with criticism. I'm fed up with the mistakes. I keep making the same mistakes. He said, is anybody trying to help you? I said, yes, but they're not doing it kindly. And he said this to me, he said, Malcolm, Whatever criticism you get, however personal, however difficult it might be, learn to find the kernel of truth in the middle of it and build on that and you'll be set free from this gripping fear that you have. What can you learn from the mistake that you've made, from the regret that you hold? I should have taken a bit more time and getting to know that person. Before I trusted them with everything, I should have been more wary. I should have um, allowed myself more space. I should have been kinder. I should have let my guard down earlier. What is it that you can learn? You'll not learn everything, but learn one thing. Secondly, remember this, and it's going to sound a bit odd. It may well have ended up worse had it not been for the grace of God. There's a really interesting piece of research um, 
a man called Thomas Gilovich during the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona examined television footage of the podium when the award ceremonies were happening. How do you think the people with um, that one gold looked? They were beaming. How do you think the people that won bronze looked as the camera pitched across them? How do you think they looked? You don't want to answer in case you're wrong, do you? I'll tell you in a minute. How do you think the people that were the silver winners looked? The interesting research is this. The folk that won gold were beaming. The folk that won bronze were beaming because they didn't come forth. The folk that won silver were miserable. Because they knew that they nearly got there. I thought to myself today, I know a far better illustration as I was reading through the notes that I prepared earlier this week. Who did England even play to come third or fourth? Who won? Who came third and fourth in the World Cup in 2014 and 2010 and 2006 and 2002? Who cares? Because once I don't even know why they have a playoff to see who comes third or fourth. Who thinks that should be scrapped altogether? Who cares whether you come third or fourth? If you didn't win, you didn't win. It could have been worse. Maybe the situation that you find yourself in it's worth remembering as you try to reframe your regret, it could have been worse. You could have married him. He could have killed you. You could have gone bust. She could have died. You could have died. Reframe it. And thirdly, be honest about the situation, about how you're feeling and about how you're coping with it because it might not be as bad as you think. Bob Ebeling was the engineer on the shuttle that um, was destroyed in 1986. The 30th anniversary of that shuttle disaster in America was in 2016. And in an interview about how he felt, he said, I warned my superiors that the little O-rings that they were using would fail in the cold weather. That they shouldn't have gone up that day and they ignored me. And I live with the regret that it's my fault that they died. Here's what he said. I think that that's one of the mistakes that God made. He shouldn't have picked me for the job. There was a huge outpouring of support for him, helping to understand that actually it wasn't his fault and it changed the way he thought about it. He realized that actually he was being too negative about the situation. He was taking too much responsibility and he didn't need to. Now, those of you that are over 60, I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news for you. The good news is that it is um, pretty probable that as you get older, regret lessens. 
you become less and less prone to it. Scientifically, there's research that's happening in Germany at the minute that suggests that the aspects of your consciousness that make you feel guilty about things lessens as you get older. That's good news. The bad news is that that can leave you a bitter old man. It can leave you a bitter old woman. You can end up throwing off all kinds of restraints and not even being aware of how your lifestyle, your words and your attitude are devastating the people around you because you've no filter. I don't want to be like that. I want to give my regrets to God. I want to find grace in life and freedom and a new start in Him. And I have regrets. I make mistakes. I'm a human being. I get things wrong, but I don't hold on to them. I lay them down at the cross. And when you lay them there, you find life and hope and forgiveness. And there is not one person here tonight who is beyond the reach of God's grace and mercy. Amen. Not one of us needs to leave this meeting or turn off our computers after this service with regrets swamping our hearts and destroying our minds and destroying our futures. You can leave with a clean slate. You can leave forgiven because God is reliable. And when he died on the cross in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took your sin, he took your shame, and he took your regret. Imagine how much you would pay for a therapist to give you something that you could leave that room thing. I'm never going to regret again. You'd mortgage your house. And here is an offer of a life that can deal with the regret in your life, the life of Jesus Christ. He has the power to absorb your shame, to take away your fear, to lift your regret, and to give you hope. I think that's worth holding on to with both hands. In 1904, a young man called William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. He was heir to the American Borden Dairy Estate and already a millionaire. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. I got a second-hand coat from Oxfam, but never mind. <laughs> As he traveled through Asia, the Middle East and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, he wrote home and he said this, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. At the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. He didn't hold anything back. During his college years at Yale, he became a pillar of the Christian community. One entry in his personal journal that defined the source of his spiritual strength simply said, say no to self and say yes to Jesus every time. During his first semester at Yale, he started a small prayer group. It transformed the campus. That little group gave birth to a movement that spread across the university. And by the end of his first year, 150 first years were meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By the time he entered his third year at university, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting for prayer and Bible study every week. He strategized with his fellow Christians to make sure every student on the campus heard the gospel. He was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in the streets of New Haven, but his real passion was mission. Once he narrowed his missionary call to the Kansu people in China, he never wavered. 
Upon graduation from Yale, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. He'd already written no reserves underneath it. He wrote no retreats. In keeping with that commitment, he turned down several high-paying job offers and enrolled in a seminary instead. After he graduated, he went to Egypt to learn Arabic because of his intention to work with Muslims in China. While in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Prior to his death, he had written two more words in his Bible. No reserves, no retreats. Underneath, he wrote, no regrets. What a life. Surrender to Jesus Christ, open to him. That's what's possible for you. That's what's possible for me. A life, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that is free from condemnation. A life full of possibility, with a fresh start every day, with a new horizon every morning, and a new hope every night. A life that reminds you again and again and again that you are forgiven and loved and cherished, and your past mistakes are not as important or as powerful as the future promises of God in your life. A life that can be transformed by the grace of God, and all you need to do is ask Him. All you need to do is be honest. All you need to do is be willing. All you need to do is be intentional. All you need to do is be determined. All you need to do is be open. All you need to do is be so frustrated with living with regret that your passion to see it gone is greater than your passion to hold on to it. That will create the energy required for you to move from a life riddled with regret to a life sprinkled with hope. I don't want to live like this anymore. I've had enough of it. I want free. Then Jesus Christ who said, I have come to set the prisoners free is able to set you free. To transform you. Why don't you let God do something in your heart? This is better news than an ice cream. A few years ago, there was a movie called The Bucket List, and it starred Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. These two men were being shown on the back end of life, and they were making and trying to complete each thing on their bucket list. Mine includes hot air balloon rides and visiting Siberia and going to Nepal and don't tell my wife about the hot air balloon ride. The first book I published, she bought me a hot air balloon ride, and I never took it. It's a long story and it was my fault. Their list included things like skydiving and other exciting events. But if you've seen the film, that you'll know that by the end of the movie, they came to realize that life is about more than exciting events. It's about living true. It's about dealing with the stuff that clutters around our souls and around our hearts. My prayer for each of you this evening is for you to come to a similar realization that the life that God wants for you is not a life filled with dwelling on your regrets and on your sin, but letting Jesus have them and living free, living hopeful. The God that I serve has the power to forgive your sin 
to deal with your regrets. He's the one that's able to keep working in you until the job's done. And today, I pray like the writers of the Psalms that you will allow him to lift the burden that you need taken away and that you will give him the glory for the things that he has done in your life. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. And that reality is one decision away. Please pray with me. Help us, Lord, to give you our regrets and our disappointments, our mistakes and the things that we would have changed. The unended conversations. The things that we would have done differently. The things that we wish we'd never done. Only you have the power to take these broken pieces and to transform them by your grace. As we respond to you tonight, give us the courage to open our hands and let you have all of us. The unfinished parts of our life, the flawed and fractured parts of ourselves. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The band is going to come and sing a song that I'm going to invite you to join with me in before I ask you to pray again. Let it be your response to God tonight. Let the words of this song symbolize the giving of the aspects of your life and mine that we need to lay at the feet of Almighty God.